This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, everyone. There's no denying that we've benefited a lot from Texas oil as a city and, of course, as a state. But with every boom comes consequences. And for us, this means our environment and health. Longtime energy writer and at-large contributor to Texas Monthly, Lauren Steffi, joins me to explain how a forgotten part of the oil industry is creating an environmental disaster that has no end in sight. It's Wednesday, July 26, 2023. I'm Raheel Ramsnali, and here's what Houston's talking about. Lauren, welcome back to CityCast Houston. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. How's everything been? Been busy. Uh, been a lot going on, but uh, that's always the case in Texas. So, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's start with this, because this is the gnarliest name ever. What is a zombie well, and how many are there right now? Um, yeah, so so zombie well is a, a great term, which uh, kind of grows out of another term, which was orphan wells which, uh, you know, kind of sounds like a, a famous large filmmaker. Um, but, <laughs> um, but basically, zombie wells are wells that have not been plugged properly or that are abandoned in some way. And, um, you know, nobody's willing to take responsibility for them at this point. And, um, you know, we've had a, a, an ongoing problem with this for quite a while in Texas. When you ask how many of them there are, uh, I'm not sure anybody really has a number on that because the problem is a lot of wells were drilled. You know, we've been drilling oil wells in Texas for over 100 years, 130 years. Some of them don't have, didn't have good record keeping. And uh, until they become a problem, it's really hard to know that these, some of these wells are even out there. So the zombie wells, what exactly is happening within them, right? So when a company is done with that well, they will just leave it. They might not plug it. And even if they do plug it below, there's still things happening, right? There's still oil leaking into the soil is my understanding. But what exactly is happening from an environmental per, uh, perspective? Right. I mean, the, the problem is that, that anytime you punch a big hole in the ground with the intent of, of basically pumping out something that's underground, um, it, you know, it's very, very hard to perfectly seal that up. And, and so over time, whatever you do to try to plug that or, or you know, uh, close it, if you will, um, it, you know, it can break down. And so you have to constantly monitor these wells to make sure that they don't need to be reworked or resealed. You know, as with anything else, there's maintenance involved. You have to, you know, every now and then you may have to go in and, and fix something or, or update things to make sure that they're not leaking um, because these things tap, you know, deep into the earth. Um, they can release a lot of toxic chemicals. There's chemicals that are used in the drilling process that could still be in there. There are things that come out of out of the ground, like methane and even arsenic and things like that, that can can get into groundwater and, and cause problems. And so they not only need to be sealed properly, and, and they need to be monitored uh, consistently to make sure that that's not happening. And what happens with these zombie wells is basically nobody's minding the store. 
Uh, we don't even know yeah. who's responsible. In many cases, the companies have gone out of business or they're no longer around. And so it makes it very hard to hold anybody responsible for this stuff. So when a well permit is approved by the state or by private land or whatever the case may be, I'm not sure how that exactly works. Why is that not written into that contract that X, Y, and Z is going to be responsible for capping these wells? Well, sometimes it is. There are actually provisions where um, production companies are supposed to post a, a fee, basically, a, a, you know, almost like an insurance policy or a bond that would cover the cost of plugging the wells. The problem is those payments or, or agreements were made maybe 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. The costs of actually dealing with this problem get more expensive over time, just like everything mm. else does. And so in many cases, even when companies did put up money to cover remediation, um, it, it's just not enough. Um, and so that's really – and the, the, the Texas Railroad Commission, which is the regulator that oversees all this, has an active program to, to you know, try to address this situation. But they've gotten so far behind on, on the number that need to be addressed that, that it's really um, – that, that's part of the reason we're seeing this problem is there's just there's – there's not any good mechanism for, deal, for dealing with this that's in place. So, How much does it cost to cap a well? You know, it, it, it varies a lot. Um, depending on the type of well, how old it is, what you're what you're dealing with, but um, you know these days with uh, with things like fracking and horizontal drilling and some of the new technology that's used, it can cost upward of a, a million dollars to to deal with some of these zombie wells. And so, you know, that you start thinking about you know hundreds, thousands of these that need to be addressed, you start getting into some some pretty big money. Yeah, that is a lot of money. And is that why companies that are still around, they're kind of avoiding it or delaying capping these wells because they just don't want to spend that money? You know, larger companies tend to have stricter policies about this, and they have learned that, that you know, environmental consequences come back to bite you. Um, but a lot of smaller operators either don't have the resources or simply aren't worried about what's going to happen in 15 or 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, there, there's just not really the mechanism. The other thing we've seen in Texas is that a lot of larger companies are selling off, you know, older properties, older wells, if you will. And then smaller companies come in and buy them and they don't, they don't, again, they don't have the resources. They're also more likely to go out of business. And so over time, the, 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 the uh, propensity for wells to be, to become zombies, I guess you would say, uh, increases. So, if small companies aren't paying for it and if big companies are deferring it, is there federal money coming in, state level money that's helping cap these wells now? The Railroad Commission has a fund uh, that is uh, partially funded by the state and partially funded by, um, you know, oil and gas companies themselves. And uh, that's supposed to address this, but it's really like, again, it's kind of inadequate for dealing with the, the scope of the problem. There is federal money available. Um, and that has been used in other states fairly effectively. Uh, Wyoming and North Dakota, for example, have had pretty successful programs to address this. Of course, they have a lot fewer of these wells that they that they have to deal with. And so it's an easier problem. But one of the things that some of the federal money does um, is it created additional money for this. And the idea was that that because, you know, we'd had a lot of layoffs in the oil and gas industry and stuff, you would actually hire oil and gas workers who have been laid off to work on plugging these wells. So it's, a, it's like, you know, you have people with the technical expertise who are available. Uh, they need work. 
Uh, and so, you know, the the federal program was really designed to kind of put them to work doing doing something that's, you know, good for the environment and necessary and, and you know, something that really benefits all of us. And so those programs have been successful in other states. It hasn't really ramped up fully here in Texas, but I, I, I'm hoping that it will. I'm hoping that that's, that's one way we could, we could at least chip away at this problem. Houston's original neighborhood downtown is for everyone and it's poppin'. It's our open-hearted home for our biggest celebrations and our treasured hidden gems. From the world-class theater district to incredible green spaces like Discovery Green, downtown is the place to be. In fact, more people visited downtown Houston last year than the entire population of Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin, and San Antonio combined. There's no better time to live downtown than now. From starter apartments to luxury lofts, everyone can take advantage of the arts, business, culture, entertainment, food, and recreation. Now, you might think of downtown as only the heartbeat of Houston's regional economy, which it is, but there's so much more to it, including free events throughout the week with Downtown Houston Plus. From the Market Square Park Farmer's Market every Saturday to Yoga Flow every Wednesday, you can find something to do and eat and watch in Downtown Houston. Learn more at downtownhouston.org. Downtown Houston, get energized and revived. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You kind of talked about what's happening in terms of what's leaking, but how is this going to impact the environment long-term? Yeah, you know, and we're seeing this. I mean, a lot of landowners are getting very concerned about what's happening. You know, is their soil contaminated? Um, is groundwater being contaminated? And those are really big concerns because they're really, really hard to address. Uh, if you know anything about the the aquifer system in Texas and the way the the geology works, uh, you know you can have a contamination, you know, in in you know West Texas, and it could cause problems for groundwater hundreds of miles away. Uh, and so, the, you know, we all have almost this underground network of water uh, in yeah. certainly in the central and western parts of the state, and. And so that becomes a concern. Um, you know, you've seen along the Gulf Coast, uh, there's concerns about impact on wetlands. And, and, you know, if this stuff bubbles up and it gets dispersed in the, in the marshes or, in, you know, in the wetlands area, what kind of impact is that going to have on, on waterfowl, you know, marine life, et cetera, et cetera, not to mention grasses and things that help prevent against, you know, hurricane damage and, and stuff like that. And so, yeah, there are far reaching implications if this goes unchecked. So these are the regions where we're getting, you know, meat from fruits and vegetables. How is this going to impact Houstonians? Yeah, I mean, I think that's another concern is, is you know, we've had a lot of drilling in South Texas over the years. And, uh, you know, how, how will that affect uh, food production? How will it affect things in places like the Winter Garden or, you know, those kind of areas where not just Texas, but the whole country really kind of depends on some of that food production. Um, it, it's a, another concern. I mean, you start sort of look working through the ramifications of this and it, it is um, it's quite concerning. You know, for a state that that holds itself up as the energy capital and a state that knows how to do this kind of work, it 
it is really something we ought to be taking the lead on addressing because we actually have the expertise to do this right. Uh, we just haven't. So that was my next question is what can we do as Houstonians to fix this problem, right? Like, obviously, I'm not going to go there and cap the wells because I don't have the expertise. But is there something we could do? Can we write uh, to our state representative, uh, to Congress? What can we do? I, I think this is an issue that the legislature needs to spend a little more time focused on, uh, quite frankly, than they have been. Uh, so, yes, writing to your state lawmakers uh, would be a good step. The other thing, you know, is to remember that the Railroad Commission is elected by the public. Most of the public does not vote in those elections. They tend to skip over that because most people don't even understand what the Railroad Commission does. You know, it's got a name that doesn't tell you anything about what it does because it does nothing with railroads. And so that's confusing. And so what happens is most of the most of the railroad commissioners are basically elected by the industry they regulate. They're the, you know, the oil companies, the fossil fuel producers, they're the ones that put the big money into the railroad commission races. And so you have kind of this fox guarding the hen house aspect to regulation. Um, and these are the kind of issues I think that that what we're seeing increasingly it's not just zombie wells, orphan wells. This this is one big concern. But then there's things like methane releases, which the Railroad Commission has also done a relatively poor job of regulating. And so there, there are growing environmental concerns, and the Railroad Commission needs to recognize its responsibilities to protect the general public from these kinds of widespread issues that could become public health crises and other things. It's not It's not just about the oil and gas industry anymore. And we're just learning about the wells that are out there right now. How many do you think that are out there that we haven't even discovered? Because you said the record keeping, you know, you go back a few years and the record keeping wasn't that great. That's the really scary part is that nobody really knows the answer to that question, because uh, in some cases, even the landowners, the current landowners don't know that they have an abandoned well on their property until there's a problem, until they notice, wow. you know, a, a toxic pool forming or something like that. And so it can be really, really difficult. There's not a, a there's not a way to do a comprehensive uh, analysis of how many of these there are. Man, that is uh, that's a scary <laughs> thought, but very fascinating to learn about as well. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us and educating us on this. Absolutely, thank you. Always a pleasure. That was Lauren Steffi. You can read all of his work at TexasMonthly.com. Before we go. All of this heat isn't just impacting you personally. It's also impacting the economy. The Perryman Group estimates that Texas will lose over $9.5 billion if this oppressive heat continues throughout August. The major losses are due to declines in productivity. Well, of course, because it's really hot with the agriculture sector being hit the hardest. Now, while some industries are in a decline, Others are seeing an improvement, like the utility sector and petroleum and coal because, well, we're using more electricity so we can blast those ACs. We need that cool air. Check out the full story in our show notes. That will do it for today. Thank you for listening, and I hope you learned something new. I just need to start my recording. One second. Test, test. One, two, three. One, two, three. All right.